when something salty, you know, someone offers you a potato chip, a really crisp potato chip, and they say, that's all. That's one. And you chew that potato chip, you just want to grab that bag and eat four, five, six, ten, twelve, fifteen more. That's so good. It's meeting that craving for salt. And what he said this morning, um, I think, makes us all wish we could hear more. I have heard more. He gave his testimony to the ladies' Bible study this past Friday. And there were some amazing facets to that testimony. But at the end of the day, everyone's testimony is the same. We're all wretched, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners who were rescued by the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yesterday, he met with three people from the Louisville area who participate in the Louisville Indian Ministry. And these individuals are earnest about reaching Indians and Muslims. And one of the girls told me some things yesterday that absolutely shocked me about what's happening in Louisville in communities other than the Indian community. For example, among Iraqis, about 14 house churches in Louisville where the gospel is coming to them. This girl, Heather, has friends who were, have literally been martyred like we have lost some of our friends. I hope someday uh, you all will meet Heather uh, when she and some of her friends come on a Saturday night and then uh, worship with us on a Lord's Day morning. So, having said all of that, let me say this to you. I swear that I'm telling the truth. I swear to God that I'm telling the truth. I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. I'll swear over my mother's grave. You've got to believe me. I swear I'm telling you the truth. Scout's honor. Cross my heart. Hope to die. I swear it's the truth. Did you know that people who say those things are not only violating the third commandment, and putting their souls in jeopardy. But they're liars. They're liars. And if any of you who are listening to me this morning in this room or in the room behind us or by live streaming finds yourself frequently saying things like, I swear it's the truth, I swear. And maybe even sometimes really make it wicked and dangerous and say, I swear to God. I'm... I'm telling you the truth without swearing. You are a liar. Because only liars need to swear unless it's in a, a court of law. Only liars. And if you'll be honest, you will have to admit that the reason why you say things like that, I swear I'm telling you the truth, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. It's because in your heart you know that the person or persons you're talking to doubt your integrity. And you know it. And you're trying hard to get them to believe that you are believable. But it doesn't work. In fact, the more you say, I swear, the more they say, you lie. 
And you might as well face that. And what you need to become is a truth teller. Because all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. Now, did you know that James addressed that issue of that kind of swearing in one verse in this fifth chapter, and it is verse 12. Notice it with me. But above all, my brothers, I'm glad he speaks to us again as his brothers and his sisters. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. If he were among us, we could press a little bit and say, James, what other kinds of stuff do you have in mind? Oh, he would say, swearing over your mother's grave, crossing your heart and hoping to die, scouts honor, stack of Bibles, and on and on goes the list. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Don't do it. Just plain don't do it. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that, just in case you don't think this is too serious, so that you don't go to hell. Does it say that? Not exactly, but that's the essence. So that you may not fall under condemnation. And the Greek word is the word judgment. The same word used back in chapter 2 and verse 13, where James says, for judgment is without mercy on the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're going to look at this, this issue of swearing this morning. Now let me give you the structure of the verse, what I think is the structure of the verse. It's difficult, it's a challenge to relate this verse to the context. I'm just going to say that. Commentators wrestle and struggle with it, and some of them just say we can't be sure, and it's not critical. It, what's really critical is to understand verse 12. The best guesses are that when he says, but above all, he is making reference to some of the things he has most immediately concerned himself with, and that is Christians patiently enduring suffering and the lack of justice. And he's saying, don't sin in that context, but above all, when you're under the pressure of suffering and social injustice, don't succumb to the temptation when you may be fearful or frustrated to try to get yourself out of trouble by swearing. Don't do that. Maybe. Maybe that's the connection. But again, it's not critical. What's critical is that we understand and obey James 5.12. How does the verse unpack? Well, I think what we have is two things. 
we have a, an exhortation and we have an argument. The exhortation, if we look at it closely, is twofold. And when we look at it even more closely and analyze it and think about it, we say, oh, part of that, the exhortation or the commandment, whatever you want to call it, you can call it an imperative, you can call it a commandment, an exhortation. That bottom line is something we're supposed to do. Um, when you look at it closely, you see that there are two parts of it. In fact, the first part is something we're not supposed to do, and the second part of the exhortation is something we're supposed to do. Let me read it for you. You'll see it's very clear. But above all, my brothers, do not, this is something you're not supposed to do, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. That's what we're not supposed to do. But he says, I'm not done. Now I've got something you must do, something you're supposed to do. But, and you sort of feel the word rather, rather, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. Let it be what you say. So the exhortation, the twofold exhortation, is first of all a prohibition and secondly a requirement. So then, then I'm just going to finish out by saying the verse isn't over. What follows is so that. Uh, don't be doing this, but you better do that. So that. So that. There's, there's, a re there's something at stake here. Better be careful about this. This isn't something that you can just say, hmm, yeah, nice idea. I don't think it's really that important. So that, don't swear by anything. Make sure you're always telling the truth and that your words have integrity so that you may not fall under condemnation. That's the argument. That's the reason. So if we said, James, why are you so... Uh, emphatic about this? Why is this so important to you? Oh, it says, no, it's important to you. Yes, it's important to me too. It's important to all of us. But it's so important. The reason why you must not do what I'm telling you not to do and the reason why you must do what I'm telling you to do and the reason why we all must not do what we must not do and what we must do what we must do is because. Here's the argument. If we don't, if we don't obey this twofold exhortation, we will fall under condemnation. The issue at stake is very, very serious. Then let's look at the twofold exhortation. First of all, something we must not do. No, what is it we're not to do? Well, we're not to swear. And then he gives us ways by which we as a, by example, should not swear. Now, the first thing I think I should say is what this does not mean. And this may be helpful especially to younger people because they may not have thought this through. But um, when James says don't swear, he's not talking about using bad language. He's not talking about foul mouth. He's not talking about four-letter words, five-letter words, filthy talk. You know, you say, man, I, I don't like to be around that guy, or even in some cases that girl, because he just swears. All the, he's always swearing and cursing and using vile language. I hate it. That's not what James is talking about. Now, that is a sin, but that's, 
that's not what this verse is talking about. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a method actually prescribed by God himself which assures people that the truth is being spoken. Swearing is when you take an oath to demonstrate how truthful you are seeking to be. And that practice was a part of Jewish religion and civil life. I'm going to quickly show you that in the scriptures. I'm going to show you that that swearing was not only allowed by God, but even required by God. Let's just quickly look at Exodus 22, 10 and 11. Exodus 22. We're going to make a real fast, hasty flyover of oh, five or six verses so that you can see the background and the legitimacy of swearing under certain circumstances. Exodus 22, 10 and 11. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The assumption is that when a man swears by an oath and brings God to bear witness, he's really, in effect, asking God to curse him or to punish him if he's not telling the truth. And the assumption is he's telling the truth. Go quickly to Deuteronomy 6.13. 6.13, Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear Him and serve Him. By His name you shall swear. Does that sound like a something you're not supposed to do or something you're supposed to do? Something you're supposed to do. By His name you shall swear. Go, please, all the way over to the prophet Jeremiah. Very quickly, Jeremiah chapter 12. We're having kind of a sword drill here. We're seeing how quickly we can get to these passages. Jeremiah 12. And I believe me, I could literally turn you to 20, 30 passages like this. I, I tried to be selective. Jeremiah 12, verse 16. And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people. Well, what are the ways of your people? Oh, here they are. To swear by my name as the Lord lives. That's one of those oaths. Even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. He's showing the legitimacy, the appropriateness of people swearing by the name of the Lord. And then may I just quickly remind you from our New Testaments that God swore and took oaths. Hebrews 6, we're back now to near our epistle, James. Hebrews 6, just notice with me verses 13 and 17. Hebrews 6, 13. 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And now please go to verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly that what's the purpose of swearing to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Do you think God would swear or God would use oaths if swearing and oaths were intrinsically in and of themselves sinful things to do? Of course not. Now, the truth is... (laughs) Swearing became necessary because of lying. Now, what the Bible forbade in the Old Testament was false swearing, false oath-taking, not swearing or taking oaths. But if you think about it, the reason why oaths became necessary is because of the fall of man. It's because we're sinful people. We just tend not to be too believable sometimes, especially in a court of law. Can you imagine a judge looking at the person sitting there um, where he's being interrogated and saying to him, "Um, you know, just looking at you, (laughs) I feel like you're probably a truthful person, so I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. He doesn't know anything about the character of the person. Or if he said the opposite, that wouldn't be right. And so, even though it is abused in our day, to our day, a Bible is held up and a person is asked, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God? And they say, I do. And then what happens? In many cases, they still commit perjury. That doesn't guarantee, but it certainly intensifies it. And even in our culture, better not be guilty of perjury. That's very serious, even in our decadent culture. So, oaths became necessary because men, by nature, are liars. David said, they go forth from the womb, speaking lies. And so, the whole practice of swearing and taking oaths, in and of itself, was biblical under the right circumstances, particularly in religious matters and in civil matters. And to this day, they are right for the same reasons. And recently, we heard our latest, newest pastor vow and give oath to his determination to be true to his calling and true to our confession of faith. And speaking of our confession of faith, we have an entire chapter given over to this subject called of lawful, lawful, lawful oaths and vows, implying that there are vows and oaths that are not lawful. That's the kind James is talking about, the ones that are not lawful that we ought not to be entering into. And so, if you want some time, you can read and you will see from our very confession which kinds of oaths and vows are lawful. And they're very serious, and they're very religious, and they're very reverent, and they're very careful. And James is talking about something that happened to that whole process. And by the way, the Lord Jesus had to address what happened to. What did happen? Well, the practice fell into disrepute. It became 
trivialized, it became polluted, it became abused, it was tweaked by the crafty, and it became perverted. The rabbis and the Pharisees took the concept and pushed it and massaged it and tweaked it. And in particular, they came up with a slick way of um, dividing oaths into binding and non-binding. Why would you want a non-binding oath? <laughs> because you want to you weasel out. That's why. Because you want wiggle room. Because you want a way to sound like you're telling the truth so that somebody will do what you want them to do all the while knowing that at the end of the day you don't really have to keep your part of the deal because, oh, by the way, that was, didn't you know, that was a non-binding oath. I'll show you how Jesus addressed that if you just quickly turn to Matthew 23. Um, he was addressing that very thing that had happened. Matthew 23, verse 16. And if you don't think this is serious, then I'd like to ask you to look at the first three words at verse 16. Whenever Jesus says, woe to you, that's serious. Woe to you. Blind guides who say, and he's talking clearly to the Pharisees, quote, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. That is, it, it won't be binding. It's, it's, not that, it's not that significant. It's meaningless. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Binding, non-binding. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound. Oh, there are binding oaths and there are non-binding oaths. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God. And by him who sits on it, there is no swearing that doesn't bring God into the picture in one way or another. All swearing is binding in the sight of God. Don't be buying into this false dichotomy between binding oaths and non-binding oaths. It's foolishness. All it is is a crafty way to raise the question, well, what is the meaning of is? So these nine non-binding oaths were a tricky way of lying. Now, <clears throat> what I have to say to you, though, is that in our day, this swearing and taking of oaths has become a shallow but frequently used method of trumping up our credibility. And it's used, as I hinted in my introduction, by those who really aren't very credible to begin with. So I want to say again, if you're one of those people who's, who is sometimes uh, found to be said, I swear I'm telling you, man, I swear, I swear. I'm going to just tell you one more time. Will you please acknowledge that the reason why you have to do that is because you know you're not very credible? And now I'm going to tell you why, you, why you're not very credible, because you're a liar. And people know you lie. 
They, they don't know when you're telling the truth or when you're not telling the truth. You have the problem of, of wolf. You, you cried wolf too many times, and so when the real wolf... But Pastor Ted, I'm not always lying. I know you're not always lying. But people are always wondering. Because you have established for yourself a reputation of not having integrity and not telling the truth, and so you have to bolster up what you're going to say to make it believable. And I'm going to say this one more time as well. Every time you do that, you become less believable. And sometimes we catch each other, and I'm, I'm not really thinking this is sinful, but we, we should really change our vocabulary. We say things like, I'm going to be honest with you. Wow, thank you for that, because I, I knew you were lying all along. No, we... The thing to say is, I'm going to be candid with you. That's what we really mean when we say I'm going to be honest with you. So could I just be plain spoken and blunt with you about this? I'm going to really tell you exactly what I think. Don't say, I'm going to be honest with you. Of course you're going to be honest with me. We're all going to be honest with one another. But people who have to swear are not honest people. Here's how Matthew Henry put it. He said, it is being suspected of falsehood that leads men to swearing. Let it be known that you keep to the truth and are firm to your word, and by this means you will find that there is no need to swear to what you say. That's good counsel. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know the meaning of that verse? Surely you do, even if you're not basically wicked. When you have a bad conscience, uh, you're really nervous about a lot of stuff. I remember days when, uh, when I was unconverted and living at Bob Jones University and broke many, 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 many rules. Abraham, God bless you. I know you have to leave and give, give love and greetings to the brethren at IBSJ. Abraham's one of our dear brothers who came and must leave in order to obtain his flight. I, uh, I was very devious. And I had a roommate who used to say things to me like, Hey, Ted, uh, Dean Liverman wants to see you. I said, There's no... Was it a green slip or pink slip, Tim? You never got him. You... Where's Tim Hope? It was what... What color? Green? Pink? <laughs> There's an honest man right there. <laughs> um, those were not good slips to get in your mailbox because they often meant you could be in trouble. And my roommate would say to me, he said, I just came from Dean Liverman's office, and he said he's not even going to put a pink slip. He says, you come immediately to the office. And I'd say, oh, yeah, man, I know better than that. You're crazy. I'm not going up there. I've, he doesn't know nothing. And inside I'm thinking, oh, ooh, what is it? Ooh. And I would, you know, sometimes go to the office and say, is there anything wrong? And he'd say, there must be. But, you know, that's what the wicked flee when no one's pursuing because they've got a bad conscience. Listen to me. The liars swear when no one's doubting necessarily because they know in their heart that they're liars. 
and that they don't always tell the truth. And so I want to urge you who fall into that to see your true spiritual state, repent, and um, become a person of truth. So there's two ways that it's violated in our day, this swearing. One is in a court of law when we perjure ourselves by swearing, where it's legitimate to swear, but end up lying and taking the name of God in vain. And the other way is this thing that I'm describing, this casual, voluntary, irreverent bolstering of our statements. That's primarily what James is talking about. Now, quickly, what we must do instead. Okay, let's turn to the positive. There's the negative part of the exhortation. Don't swear. Don't swear by anything because it all belongs to God. You can't get God out of the picture. And now we see a but and a contrast. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. What does that mean? That means tell the truth. That means when you say yes, may it really mean yes. May it really be the truth. Did you or did you not go to that party that you were not supposed to go to? If you say no, that better mean no in every regard and no sneaky way around it. Make your yes mean yes. And make your no mean no. Always be consistent. May the Word be telling the truth. And this is something Jesus addressed Himself to and, and James surely is following the instruction of his Savior and his half-brother. I want you quickly to go to Matthew chapter 5. This is another text that we have to appreciate in understanding this. Jesus was concerned about this. We've already read one evidence of it in Matthew 23. But in Matthew 5, look what he says in verses 33 and following. Matthew 5:33. <clears throat> Again, you have heard that it was said of, to those of old... You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And that is true. The Old Testament does teach that. I didn't turn you to the passages. One of them is Leviticus 19 and verse 12, and there are others. But, now Jesus is in essence saying, that's true, but that's not enough. I want to say to you, do not take an oath at all, He's talking about casual oath-taking now. He's not talking about the court of law. He's not talking about what God Himself did, as I read for you in Hebrews 6. He's talking about casual, voluntarily, irreverent, trivializing swearing. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, that's what I meant a while ago when I said you can't swear by anything and get God out of the picture or by earth for it is His footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And now notice Jesus adds a warning. Anything more than this comes from evil. There's, there's a reason why you 
feel like you can't just say yes or no. There's a sinful motive behind your desire to trump this up and bolster it up and fortify it so that it will be believable. So you see, Jesus was concerned about the same thing. So let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Simply say yes or no is Jesus' way, James' way of telling us we need to become truthful people. Become a truthful person. Cultivate a truthful character. And lo and behold, you will find that you have obtained a reputation for being truthful. You must be truthful. You must be truthful in your character. And God is in the business of character changing. That's what sanctification is. God and Pastor Sam preached this morning. Or pre- I felt it was like preaching. It slip of the tongue. A good one. Our hearts were into that prayer. He was quoting from wonderful hymns. And he thanked God that He didn't choose us based upon our character because our character is flawed. But once we become Christians and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, He is in... He begins the process of changing our character, not in a way that contributes to our salvation, but in a way that makes us more like the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus. And God is in the character-changing business. And so I want to say to, to all of us, even to those of us who aren't going to be condemned, but do sometimes sin with our mouth. We sometimes do try to get people to believe us when maybe we're not as believable as we should be on something. Christians, he says, brothers, brothers. What are you saying about us, James? He's saying, you have remaining sin, and you may be tempted to fudge on the truth, and you may be tempted to get people to believe you about something that really isn't that believable. Don't do that. But the bigger thing that God's Word is saying to us through this passage is become, 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 become people of the truth. And may your character be truthful. And if you are a truthful person, people will say, you you need to say no more. I believe you. And if they don't even try to say more because they literally obey Jesus and James and they just say, yes. Or they say, no. Inside you say, that settles it for me because I know this woman. I know this man. They're people of truth. So we need to be careful. And we need to be careful about telling what we sometimes call half-truths. There are things that in one sense are truthful but in another sense aren't truthful. But I want to give you this statement again, and I know you've heard it before, but a half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie if, in fact, the reason why you tell the half-truth is because you want to control and manipulate their thinking so that they draw conclusion A, when, in fact, if they knew all the facts, they would have to draw conclusion B. But you don't want them to draw conclusion B, so you tell enough of the truth that leads them to believe conclusion A, but you haven't, you haven't really told the truth. It ends up being a lie. 
It's deception. You know, it's like you don't want to talk to somebody on the phone and you tell somebody, oh, they're, they're probably going to call me. I'm going to step outside the door. Tell them I'm not here. Well, in a sense, you're not there. But you are there. You're reachable. And I was reminded this week of Abraham who did this. Abraham married his half-sister, Sarah. And when he went down into Egypt, he started the man of great faith, became a man of unbelief, succumbed to doubt and fear, and said, Sarah, when we get there, you've got to agree with me in telling people that you're my sister and not my wife. Because I fear that if they know you're my wife, you're so beautiful that um, they'll probably kill me. That's, that's what I'm really troubled with. Sarah, this is about the love of self. Wouldn't have been good if he had said that. This is about me loving me more than loving you right now. Because if... Hey, Abraham, what do you think is going to happen if you tell people she's your sister? This is your wife? You're willing to put her life in jeopardy? You know that they're... That Abimelech is going to take her and add her to his harem and you're willing to ask your wife to tell people that she's your sister? And that's what happened. And God sovereignly kept her pure and protected her from Abimelech's natural desire to sleep with another woman. And he sent a plague and Abimelech said, what in the world has happened in Abraham? And God Tells him what's happening and Abraham has to fess up. Well, did he tell the truth or not? Yes, but especially, no! No! He willfully deceived Abimelech. And I want you to remember this and I want you children to remember this. A half-truth is a whole lie. Mom and Dad, have catechism at lunch. What is a half-truth? It's a whole lie. And Mom and Dad, and boys and girls, just a word to you and I've got a i got to quit. Just a word to you, children. I know that it's hard to tell the truth to your parents when you've done something that you know was disobedience. And especially if you know you're going to be disciplined. It's really hard. That's when the devil comes and says, Tell a lie. Tell a lie. Just tell a lie. You don't want a spanking, do you? You don't want to lose the keys, do you? You don't want to lose the keys to the car, do you? And and we got some lying going on in this church among children. And they're not all just little children. They're older children. They're liars. They are liars. They're going to burn in the lake of fire. You're going to burn in the lake of fire. You who lie to your mom and dad. You are going to burn in the lake of fire unless you find Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, Just have the courage to say to your mom and dad the truth. And when they ask you, did you do such and such? Just say, I did. And if, whatever the case is, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Boys and girls, children, young people, tell the truth. Don't go to hell. Don't put a spanking above hell. 
Don't put losing your car keys or a relationship above hell. Say to yourself, my eternal soul is at stake. I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to pay the price, whatever it may be. And mom and dad, this is what I want to say to you. On some occasions, on some occasions, be so pleased and encouraged that your child or young person had the courage to tell you the truth. On some occasions, say, I'm not, we're not going to do what we have every warrant to do. I want to thank you so much for telling the truth. And then the next time you tell the truth, And don't tell the truth because you think the next time for sure you're not going to get disciplined, children, because you may be. Because if you keep telling lies, you need to be disciplined. Now, just quickly, what's the sobering argument? I think I've covered it. It is so that, so that you may not fall into condemnation. And we saw what Jesus said. This this comes from sin. And James is saying it will lead to condemnation. A strong word. I told you it's the same word used in 2.13. Let me tell you where else this word is used. And I could show you 20, 30 places. Since you're so close, just turn to 2 Peter 2.9. You just over. Flip two pages. 2 Peter 2.9. No, you got to slip a couple because we're going to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2.9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now, the same word can have different meanings. I understand that, but I'm telling you that most of the time, this word, chrysis, in this case it's chrysin, means judgment in the eschatological punishment sense of the term. And this is partly what Jesus meant, and now we can't turn to this passage because of time, but you know that Jesus said in Matthew 12 that our mouths show what is in our hearts. And therefore, the words that come out of our mouth will someday be evidence of either our lost condition or our saved condition. In that sense, they will have a justifying or condemning power. We're justified by grace through faith alone. But in a different kind of a way, our words will prove who we are and what we are. And that's why it's so serious to tell the truth. So serious. Because in the day of judgment, truth-telling will become critical as an evidence of who we were when we were on earth. That's the argument. And that's why I don't want any of you to go away here and saying, well... I guess I should probably be a little more careful about saying I swear, I swear, when in fact I know I'm trying to get somebody to believe what's not the truth. I've got to be really careful about it because my soul is at stake. And I just want to say this. Isn't it wonderful that we have a Savior who never had to swear? 
Boys and girls, Jesus never had to say to mom and dad, mom, and dad, mom I swear I'm telling the truth. I didn't take that. I swear I didn't take the cookie. He never had to do that because he always told the truth, and that's why he can be our Savior. He's a truthful Savior. And he was telling the truth when he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be men and women and boys and girls of the truth. Help us not to be like our former father, the devil, who is the father of lies. Help us to tell the truth because we love the truth and we love you who are the God of truth. Help us to be careful about the tendency to try to make people believe us. And help us to look behind that and figure out why am I doing that. Help us all to so love you that we love the truth. And help us to learn how to just say and truthfully to say yes, no. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.